in this church, this Jerusalem Bible Fellowship, it is a growing church. The disciples are increasing. People are getting saved. And they are becoming part of this new fellowship. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is using people. This church is a playground of the Holy Spirit. But the enemy is not happy. He continues to attack the church. And let me tell you, whenever there are changes, there are also challenges. And whenever you have changes and challenges, you also have grief. When a church is growing, changes take place. When changes take place, there are challenges. There are challenges because in every new level, there is a new devil. The temptations you face as you grow continue to change. In every new level, there is a new devil. But there's also grief. Grief because people attach themselves to things and ministries. And so when changes take place, the challenge is to let go. And the grief is when you see that which you've been holding on to being taken away from you. For example, it is easy to grieve if you've been raised up singing hymns and then the church shifts from singing hymns into contemporary Christian songs. You can see your hymns going away. <laughs> and people have left churches because of that. If you are in a church where you sit at a particular place, and then you come on Sunday and someone is sitting at your place. And you have to sit somewhere different. You can sit there, but you will be grieving. <laughs> Every time you turn your head and look at that person, you just feel like crying. Because people attach themselves to things. In this Jerusalem church, the church is growing and different people are coming in, but the Jewish Christians are behaving as if the only people that are in that church are Jewish. 
they think and continue to do things the same way they were doing. But in this church, they have Hellenistic Jews. These are Jews that were dispersed and have returned. They speak Greek. They behave like Greeks. And so the Jerusalem Jews look down upon them because they are not like them. They are culturally different. But as they continue to minister, they minister as if everyone believes and thinks and behaves like them. They are still attached to their own ways of doing things. And so the enemy gets an opportunity to step in there. The Hellenistic Jews come to the apostles and they complain. They complain that their widows are being discriminated when it comes to the distribution of food. Widows in this culture, are, especially if and when they don't have a son to take care of them, are at the mercy of the society, and in this case, at the mercy of the church. And I'm looking at this, and when I was preparing, I tried to consider some of the things I have heard and some of the things that I have seen bring divisions and church splits. And there are so many things, and some of them are actually minor stuff, but they're the things that the enemy uses to destroy and to distract. In this church, the Jerusalem Christian Fellowship, it is discrimination. It is bias. Prejudice is taking place here. But some of the things that happen in our churches will surprise you. Some of the things that we fight over. Let me give you this, some few examples. Christians sometimes they fight over the term potluck. Whether we should use potluck or pot blessing. Because the idea of potluck, the idea of luck is against the theology of God's provision, <laughs> God's providence. <laughs> Christians will argue over the appropriate length of the pastor's beard. In fact, there's a church that was split because they couldn't agree on whether they should build 
a children's playground or a cemetery? I'm still dying to know what the answer was. <laughs> or a vote to decide whether the clock in the worship center should be removed. That's a timely argument, right? Or an argument, a heated argument on which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. I just want to know who took the picture. A church in Texas was split because during the potluck, the leading elder was served a smaller steak compared to the youth leader. It was in the news. Every time as Christians we find ourselves focusing on things that have nothing to do with Christ, there is something wrong with us. And it happens all the time. These are minor things that give the devil a footstool. Minor things that turn the church of God into a laughing stock. Issues that destroy the testimony of the church. Here, it is the Hellenistic Jews and their widows who feel discriminated. But we do have similar experiences in our culture today. We find ourselves discriminating people who are homeless. We discriminate people who have different cultural backgrounds. We discriminate alcoholics and drug addicts. Or people that we we find it difficult to understand when they speak. So, the apostles are approached, and it seems like there is a suggestion for the apostles to intervene, to make sure that they are involved so that everyone can be served. 
But the apostles realized that this is a distraction. If you look at verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That tells us there was a suggestion for them to serve on tables. And they are saying it will not be wise for us to do that. Because we have a specific responsibility here. They realize this is something that is here to distract us. And as Christians, we need to be sensitive enough when issues come up that don't help us in our spiritual work, we should be sensitive enough as Christians to realize when an issue is just a distraction. Because the enemy's attacks come in different shapes and sizes. So they, they are not ignoring the problem. They acknowledge that there is a problem. If you look at verse 3, they say, Brothers and sisters, so they invite the congregation to be part of the solution. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. They realize it's a problem. They propose a solution and they allow the congregation to be part of that solution. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And we are told this proposal pleased the whole group. They, they loved the idea. And so they chose seven men full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Men who are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. People who are submissive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think the person who suggested that the apostles should be involved may have thought of Matthew 23:11, where Jesus says, if any of you want to be the greatest, must be the servant. And it's always challenging when a Christian approaches you with a scripture. And so the apostles have to respond in a wisely way. They are not neglecting that responsibility, but they are recognizing that they have a bigger responsibility that they must focus on. And therefore, they delegate that responsibility, giving people an opportunity to 
exercise their giftedness, but also to grow in their spiritual experiences. So sometimes when we are at the fellowship and we are cleaning up, and you see your pastor walking up the stairs, don't feel like he is neglecting that responsibility. He is giving you an opportunity to exercise your giftedness. <laughs> I have said here before that... Uh, I don't think that I'm better than any of you. I don't, and it is my prayer that I will never get to a place where I will think that I'm better than anyone. But you know, when you are a leader, the temptation usually is to want to do everything. Because you can do it better than anyone else. <laughs> That's what you tell yourself as a leader. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. But if you do that, the people that you are leading will not grow. And for them to grow, they need a room to make mistakes. And so you have to allow it to happen. And when mistakes happen, you still understand that a mistake can happen. But the temptation is to do everything. But here is another catch. If you do everything, you will not be sufficient on anything. If you want to do something well, then you need to focus on that which is more important to you. You need to focus on your strength, in other words. And then let someone else pick up on your weakness. That's how we complement one another. And if you are leading somewhere else, that's a lesson you should take with you. If you want the people around you to develop, you have to give them opportunities to grow. And with growth, there will be mistakes. But we learn from our mistakes. And if we don't make mistakes, how are we going to learn? And say so the apostles here give an opportunity to seven men. And then look at the outcome. When these men are presented to the apostles, they pray and lay hands on them. And look at verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
the devil lost again. The main issue here is prejudice. That's what is happening. Whether the Hellenistic uh, widows are experiencing it or they feel it, that's the issue in this church. And there are so many churches that people face similar issues. If you are sensitive to what was going on, especially uh, 2019, maybe even from 2016 going up to around 2022, you could feel the problems coming out from the churches. And you would hear people especially on social media talking about how the white evangelistic church is prejudiced against blacks. There are a lot of posts on social media about this. The seminary that I attended, Gordon Cornwell, fired an African-American pastor. I mean, an African-American professor. And it was everywhere. The African-American pastors in New England came together. And it was like a fight. Churches preached about this. It's not the first time. But these are things that happen among Christians. And sometimes they may not be intentional, but the message is still the same. I was sharing with uh, one of the connection branches on Thursday. When I was at the seminary, I remember the day I went to the mail room to ask for a job. And someone had told me, that guy there is very good. You will get a job there. And I went and he told me, no, we don't have an opening. I asked if I could leave my name so that it can be on the waiting list. He said, I have a long waiting list. I said, okay, I took it well. That Friday evening, a new couple moved into the seminar. And I remember we were helping them move in and the husband asked about the jobs in the seminary. One of my friends told him, you should check at the mail room. The guy there is a good guy. He will probably give you a job. And I'm thinking, no, you won't get it there. You won't. I don't think there's an opening there. The following Monday, this guy went, 
He talked with uh, the mailroom manager, and on Tuesday, he started the job. There was only one difference between us. He was white, I am black. This is a seminar. You will see this in churches too, especially when it comes to ministry leaderships and activities. You will see that discrimination just working its way in. Not because people have sat down and said, we don't want so and so, but somehow we end up uh, looking for people who behave like us, who think like us, who look like us. I'm glad with the way you are seated because I had planned today that if I saw all people from one place sitting together, I was going to ask you move. Just to send a message. So I'm glad the genes today are spread. Because <laughs> this has to end and it has to end with us. Thank you. We, we cannot look at the other person and blame them while we are contributing to the same thing. If we are going to be Christians, we must all be Christians. I think the message here is very simple. The church is a prejudice-free zone. That's what it is. It is a prejudice-free zone. We will be tempted to ignore or to dismiss or even to avoid people who are not like us, who don't think like us, who have different cultural backgrounds, who speak differently, who smell differently. But if we all are in Christ, then we must realize that our strength lies in our unity as the children of God. And that our new unity communicates the power of God's grace that is at work in us. Now I must admit to you, today you are... <laughs> I must admit to you that it is not easy to love people. I'm with you there. It's not easy. In fact, if I can be truthful to you, the only person that when she tells me I love you, I will respond I love you is my wife. 
I won't even think about it because I know that I love her and I know that she loves me. But there are people when they tell me I love you, I will take days. Because as far as I'm concerned, loving someone is a commitment. Loving a brother or a sister is a commitment. And so when someone tells me, Pastor Valerian, I love you, don't be surprised when I don't respond to you and say I love you too. I will actually not respond. I will have to take a step back and think about it. And maybe even pray that God may help me and enable me to love you. And there are some people that I will need to pray daily. <laughs> that God helps me to love them. Because everything I know about them makes it hard for me to love them. But deep inside, I know that God requires that I love them. And therefore, I have to confess to God that I cannot do this without your help. And you know people in your life that you struggle to love. You know, as Christians, the challenge is not loving Jesus. We all love Jesus. If you love Jesus, raise up your hand. <laughs> the challenge is loving Judas. <clears throat> That's where the challenge is. That's why you need to turn it into a prayer request. The test is not in loving Jesus. Look at what Luke says in chapter 6, verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do good to those who do good to them. If the gospel is the power of God that saves us from sin, then it also must be powerful enough, so powerful that it can save us from our self-centeredness and our negative attitudes and unite us as one blessed body of Jesus Christ. Because the church is a prejudice-free zone. Just like in a garden of beautiful flowers, 
God created us in our beautiful colors, not to be different, but to be beautiful. And like you, I do have my own struggles and my own challenges. I do struggle sometimes to love people the way God wants me to. You are not alone in that. But I want to encourage you to turn this into a prayer request. Because you know the struggles that you have. You do. You know the thoughts that come to your mind whenever you are in contact with someone who does not behave like you, not necessarily a racial difference, but sometimes it's just cultural background, sometimes it's just the behavior. You know those difficulties that we face. And as a church here, since our vision is to connect with people from all walks of life, we are going to have those challenges. If you are telling God, God, we believe we are here so that we can connect with people from all walks of life God is going to test us he's going to bring people from all walks of life and I strongly believe that's what the church of God should be I strongly believe that the church of God should be a place where anyone can go and feel at home. Because the church of God is the family of God. That we can find ourselves united in Christ. And that's the kind of church that we want to be. That's the kind of church I believe God wants us to be. And so, when you attempted to complain because something has happened, you, you feel or have seen or have had something, first, Look deep into your heart and ask yourself, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? Before, you see, the apostles did not blame people. It would have been easier to start blaming those who are who were discriminating against the widows, the Hellenistic widows, they took the responsibility. Because we will be tempted to blame others. But before we do that, let us ask ourselves, am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? And then be willing to confront my own attitudes and my own behaviors. And if 
There is something that is bothering you. Instead of complaining and gossiping about it, communicate it appropriately. For example, if you have an issue with me, which is very possible, don't be afraid. You may be afraid to approach me because I will ask you questions. I always do. You can go to the elders. We have our elders here. Where are they? Miles, can you just stand up so they can see you? They know whom to come to. We have Abimana. Where is Rick? Oh, he's, he's downstairs. Okay. Go to them and tell them I have this problem with the pastor. I don't like the way he smiles to me. Yeah. I don't like the way he hugs me. Anything that you it's bothering you, don't ignore it and then find yourself leaving the fellowship. Go to the elders, let them know. They will handle it. They know how to handle those issues. If you don't want them to even mention your name, they will not do that. But they will still handle it. Because we are all human and we are all here to help one another become more like Jesus Christ. And we want this church to be the place where everyone feels safe and where God can be glorified. And if it's an issue with another person, if you can approach that person in a good way and express how you feel, go ahead and do it. If it's a church leader, I would suggest you come either to the elders or you come to the pastor, unless the pastor is the person you want to complain about. Because if you don't do that, the alternative is you either stay with it and allow it to burn you, or you complain about it beyond whispers, or you gossip. And I'm telling you, complaints and gossips destroy a church. They destroy fellowship. They are the worst. That's what the devil did when he approached Adam and Eve. Do you think he was shouting? Hey, Adam, did God say you should not eat this fruit? No. I think he was whispering. Did he say you shouldn't? He's lying to you. No, we want you to enjoy the worship. We want you to be free. And please, if anything is bothering you, first look deep into your heart. And then secondly, address it appropriately. We want this church to be a prejudice-free zone because we are 
one family and we have one father regardless of where we come from regardless of whether you are a member or not we belong to one father that's what brings us together and we must not lose focus of that so i just want you to take a minute here and pray with me and ask the lord ask the lord to help you think of that one person in your life that you struggle you find difficult to love and ask the lord to help you ask the lord to help you love that person because the lord has loved you father we we turn to you this morning we thank you for accepting us for loving us when we didn't love you for accepting us when we were unacceptable we thank you for your grace in our lives and lord we still have a long way to go even though sometimes we are tempted to think that we have arrived and father you are aware of those areas in our lives so that we we need growth the areas in our lives that others need to see you I call on you Lord on behalf of our church that Father as you grow us together as you transform our lives and as you remind us of your faithfulness that you may use us Lord that you may we may be the Christ that others can see that the love which you've loved us with will be the love that we will love others with and lord we we admit that it's not easy but we know that it is possible with you and therefore we are submitting to you help us lord and be glorified through it in jesus name amen